Good evening, New Hope Church. Your friend Shane Willard here. Thanks so much for the opportunity to come into your homes. I I get the opportunity to open the Bible tonight. I love that. I take it incredibly serious. Anytime you you open scripture, you want to ask at least a couple questions. One, what happened? Two, more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of what happened? So I want to tell you the story of one of our heroes, a guy named Paul, and I want to apply it to what we're facing today. I want to talk to you about overcoming anxiety or how to deal with anxiety in a more proactive fashion. Um, I'm going I'm to read a passage from Philippians chapter 4. Um, in the book of Philippians, it's a, it's a letter that Paul was writing back to the church at Philippi where he had um, underwent incredible conflict and stress because of the politics around Philippi. And he ends up in prison in Rome. And he's on death row. He's being tortured systemically by a guy named Nero. Um, and you know, it's a really, really bad uh, situation. And, and Paul um, was there because he was falsely accused by his Jewish brothers in Jerusalem of being a false messiah called the Egyptian, who raised up this revolt of 4,000 secret assassins. That gets him arrested. And then he ends up on death row through a series of all kinds of events. Um, and he's not going to get off death row. And he, and he knows he's not because the only way to do that would be to deny Jesus as Lord and declare Caesar as Lord. And so he's sort of writing these letters back to these folks as knowing this might be the last words he says to them. And he, and he says some things that are just so inspiring, like, if God started it, he'll complete it. Uh, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's, he, with God, all things are possible. He's, he's, he's saying some really inspiring things, considering the fact that a torturer is coming in on a systemic basis to torture him. Um, what he gave his life to doesn't appear at that time to be working. Um, there's a lot of things that, that would go through all of our minds, like, what did I do wrong? How could I have overcome this? And, um, and he, he just says some really, really profound things. I, I want to read um, one of those passages, given that context, about what he's saying to the Philippian believers who would be under great duress themselves, um, under incredible stress, under daily fear of being found out by the local government there and potentially face the same fate Paul did, uh, torture, beatings, um, uh, and, and eventually the death penalty. Here's, here's, here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice. The God of peace be with you. I want to talk to you about anxiety because one of the things that frustrated me uh, growing up in church was platitudes. You know, what I mean by platitudes is saying things that are obviously true with no language around what that means. So it'd be something like this. If, if I said, uh, the Bible says walk in the Spirit, so walk in the Spirit. And then you go, well, what's walking in the Spirit? Walking in the Spirit means as you're walking, you're in the Spirit, which, once again, true, but what does that mean? How do I live that out? So if I was to say, anxiety is not the best state of life, 
And, and some of us struggle with anxiety more than others. And, and some of it is complex. There's stressful things. There's, there's circumstantial things. There's environmental things. There's hormonal things. There's, there's uh, chemical things that go on in, in, in people's brains. And so anxiety is complex. But, but, but in general, if I was to say anxiety is not the best state for you, no one's going to disagree with that. No one's going to say, no, we need more worry. You know, more worry would be better for everything. But, but if somebody said, you're right. I want to worry less. What do I do? I say, well, the answer is in the Bible. Um, Paul said it very clearly. Rejoice. The, the, the cure for anxiety is rejoicing. So, rejoice. Once again, it's a platitude. What does that mean? What does rejoicing actually look like? So, what, what I want to do is, is I want to talk about the four statements Paul makes here and try to put some language around it so that we can apply it to our lives. See, first, let's define anxiety. The, the word in the New Testament translated anxiety or worry or cares is merimnao. It's a Greek word, merimnao. The word means literally to be split apart, divided, or distracted. So literally, it's anything that makes us in two places at once. Figuratively, it, it's to go to pieces. And we still use that metaphor today. Like, I'm so worried, I'm just going to pieces. This is, this is merimnao. It, it's, it's a failure to be fully present. Maybe if I could put some um, better, better language, or not better, more language around it to see if we can connect to it. So, so the word translated anxiety is anything that means to be split apart or not fully present. Let, let's say it this way. Anxiety is anytime I'm here but in my head, I'm actually there. Or anytime I'm here, but in my emotions, I'm somewhere else. So I'm, I'm playing um, a board game with my five-year-old. And because it's a simple thing, I can sort of check out. And so I'm here with my five-year-old, but I'm actually worried about the meeting on Tuesday. And then what happens is, is you get to the meeting on Tuesday and you're thinking, I should have given my five-year-old more of my attention. And so what happens is, is your experience with the five-year-old suffers and your performance at the meeting suffers because you're here, but you're actually somewhere else. So when we talk about anxiety, we're not just simply talking, because sometimes worry is what comes up. So, so words matter less than our imagination of how that word works. So if I say anxiety and all we think about is inordinate amount of worry, um, you might go, well, I don't struggle with that. But here, here's, I think anxiety is bigger than that. Anxiety is anything, whether you're feeling inordinate amounts of stress or not, anxiety is anything that causes me to be somewhere else and miss what God's doing right here in my now. And so Paul makes four statements here. He says, first, in, in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. So rejoice in the Lord. Now, once again, what does that mean? So let's put some language around that. One, rejoicing is a disciplined awareness of God being up to something in the middle of all things. So, so a, a good example is in this COVID-19 thing. People have asked me, where is God in this? Well, God is where he's always been, right in the middle of it, holding the whole thing together, suffering with those who suffer, rejoicing with those who rejoice. He's there. He's, he's in the room where someone's very, very sick, and he's, he's in the middle of that, trying to bring comfort with the Holy Spirit by bringing a grace 
to, to the situation. It, it, rejoicing isn't just this inordinate, thoughtless happiness. As much as rejoicing is an awareness that I can actually see the hand of God moving in and out of this. Let's say it this way. Rejoicing is learning to perceive things that run counter to how we thought the world worked. So we were taught if you do all the right things, nothing bad will happen to you. Well, Paul in this situation has done nothing wrong and he's being tortured, yet he can see the hand of God at work in what he started. And, And essentially, instead of being discouraged about it, he thought, you know what? If what I gave my life to was initiated by God, then it was up to God to complete it all along anyway. And I'm going to choose to see the hand of God at work in here and here and here and here and here. And so for Paul, rejoicing wasn't this mindless happiness. Because some people would find that very difficult to be mindlessly happy. But And actually, if you could be mindlessly happy as a habit in life, that might be its own psychological disorder. You might be, the, but what if rejoicing is more profound than mindless happiness? What if rejoicing is awareness that even in the struggle, God is in the middle of it, holding all things together, and, and He is at work in me, and He's at work in you, and He's at work in them, and the whole thing is going somewhere beautiful. That God is at work bringing the whole broken thing back into order. And when we become aware of that, That's rejoicing. Three, rejoicing is being aware of how precious life actually is. In other words, don't let anything take us out of the beautiful holy moment in front of us right now. So wherever you find yourself right now, um, you're where God has meant you to be. In this moment, there's something to be learned. There's something to be aware of. There's beauty to be seen. There's something to be taught. There's something to teach somebody else. Maybe God is in the message stay, or God is in the message go, or God is in the message try, or God is in the message give it a go. If God's in the message, take that risk, or God's in the message run. Whatever it is, it's important that we see God in the middle of it right here, because if we're always somewhere else, we miss what God is up to right here. So Paul says, if you want to get over anxiety, here's what you do. You practice a disciplined awareness of seeing God present always. That you don't organize your life where God is here but not there. You realize that God is with you wherever you are in whatever circumstance you're in. So that, that's one, is to rejoice. Two, Philippians 4, 5. This is the very next sentence. Let your gentleness be made known to all. For the Lord is near us. Let your gentleness be known to all, for the Lord is near. See, to earnestly seek and know God is near. The, 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 the a philosophical phrase to this is ground of being, that God is holding the whole thing together. If you think about how, how Jesus framed spirituality, he, he said it this way in the Lord's Prayer. He said, when you pray, say this, my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And actually, when he told us how not to pray, He said, hey, don't make it about many words and don't make it about your needs. In other words, in your relationship with God, don't be somewhere else aware of what you don't have. In your walk with God, just simply be aware. My Father in heaven. It's a terrible translation. In in Greek, the word is uranos, which is plural. So if you're going to translate it heaven, you've got to translate it heavens. But more often than not, in Hellenistic literature, the word uranos is air. Uh, Essentially, Jesus said, My father who's as close to me is the air 
that I breathe. Hallowed be your name. I, I suddenly become aware of you. What if we thought about it that way? Like my father who's as close to me as the air that I breathe. Like instead of seeing God as somewhere else. Like there's a way that we could be a total theist, totally believe in God, but believe in an existent God, a God that is somewhere else. And we need to do some ritual to get him to come here. But what if the story is more beautiful than that? What if God is already right in the air that we're breathing? My father, who's as close to me as the air that I'm breathing, I stop and become aware of you. I love how he goes on in that prayer. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. In other words, I long to see your ways applied in the earth. And then he makes this great line, give us today our daily bread. In Greek, the word daily isn't there. If you're going to translate that word daily, you have to translate it tomorrow. It'd be like, give us today tomorrow's bread. The word is more... Um, transcendent. So it's give us today a transcendent bread. In other words, give us today a supply that removes my fear of lack of supply tomorrow. Give us today, don't just meet my needs today. Meet my needs in such a way that I don't fear there'll ever be a day you won't meet my needs. So this is anxiety. This is, this is rejoicing, seeing God at work in everything. Anxiety is things that make us split apart. Where will the next loaf of bread from? Where, where, where is that going to come from? What, what, what about that meeting on Tuesday? It, anxiety is what makes us go somewhere else in our head. What do we do? Well, we rejoice. We rejoice. We, see, we take a second, we take a deep breath, and we see God at work in everything, drawing things to the way he wants it, slowly but surely. God's up to something in me. God's up to something in you. God's up to something in them. The whole thing's going somewhere beautiful. Second, we become aware that God is as close as the air that we breathe, not somewhere afar off. And the result of that, Paul says, is when you're truly aware of God, gentleness. When we're truly aware of God, our kindness and our gentleness should be made known to all. See, the Lord is calling us to be aware of him in the present, not in mental ascent to the past, that's called regret, nor in the future, that's called worry. So we don't want too much awareness of our past, that's regret, nor too much awareness of the future. Either way, we're somewhere else, that's anxious. God is calling us to be aware of him here, now, today, for God is near for and with us at all times. This is an observation from a psalmist who wrote Psalm 84. Here's what he says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand days somewhere else. I'd rather be the doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. In other words, I'd rather be aware of God here than anywhere else. Now, what causes anxiety? What causes us to be somewhere else? I I think uh, uh, several things, but four big ones. Unresolved conflict, that causes us to be somewhere else. When we know we have to deal with something, and then our imagination of how that something's going to work out when we have to deal with it, almost always the way it actually works out is not as bad as what we pictured in our head. But the unresolved conflict, what happens is, is our imagination goes to that. And we tend to put it off and put it off and put it off, and that just makes it worse. We put off having that difficult conversation. We put it off. Why? Because we picture something really bad happening in our head. And almost always, almost always, it's not as bad as we picture. It's not. 
So that unresolved conflict makes us stay in that future space until we resolve it. And so we end up missing what God has for us here because we're somewhere else in our head. Two is unresolved guilt. So unresolved conflict is about the future. Well, how's that going to work out when we actually have that conversation? Unresolved guilt is about my past. So too much, too much concentration on the past, I'm always there. Too much concentration on the future, I'm always there. And missing what God has for me right here. So unresolved conflict, that causes, that causes us to be somewhere else. Unresolved guilt causes us to be somewhere else. Three, unresolved questions. That causes us to be somewhere else. When there's stuff we just don't know, and that, that's part of the, the, the anxiety around the whole COVID-19 thing, is when will life get back to normal? And the answer by experts, don't know. When will a vaccine be ready? Don't know. How deadly actually is it? Don't know. And then that you have, because of the internet, you have every unqualified person on earth who's free to pass their opinion vitriolically. And it just creates more questions, not less questions. It creates more toxicity, not less toxicity. And so it just causes us to be somewhere else. Like how many of you in the last, I don't know, three months, have missed the opportunity to see what God was up to in something you were present in because you were worried about what the news might say tonight about that. So unrealized, un- unresolved questions, unresolved conflict, unresolved guilt. Uh, actually, the uh, fourth thing that causes anxiety is unrealized control. This really causes us to be somewhere else. When we believe in the delusion that we can control the other person, that we can make them do what's right by us. And then they resist it. And then we sit around and dream about what can we say to convince them to do that. And then that doesn't work. And so we dream about it again. And that doesn't work. And we spend our time not in the present, realizing what God's up to in all of us, but in trying to come up with another way to control the outcome. Those things cause us to be somewhere else. Conflict in the future, regret and guilt in the past, unanswered questions here and unrealized control. And the truth of it is, is that for most of us in conflict, we have two options. We can just let it go or we can go ahead, bite the bullet and have the, have the potentially difficult conversation and look at the gap between what actually happens and our imagination of what would happen. With guilt, there's one answer to bring that to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, knowing that God keeps no record of wrongs and choose to feel that there. Unresolved questions, we've got one option, to surrender the outcome to God. To go, you know what? Once I do all I can do, I'm going to truly surrender the outcome to God. And I'm going to choose to live more profoundly than trying to control the other. I'm going to submit to something more profound than that so that I can be present. Because when things like this cause us to be somewhere else, we miss what God is up to in the middle. So what do we do? Well, we rejoice. What does that mean? We become aware of what God's up to in me. God's up to in you. God's up to in them. The whole thing's going somewhere good. The whole thing's going somewhere where God wants it to go. Second, we become aware that God is close, not far. And that should result in gentleness being made known to all. Here's an observation from Peter who would have been imprisoned and tortured and eventually crucified, what tradition says upside down. Cast all your anxiety, merim na'o, on him, for he cares for you. In other words, anything 
that's causing you to be somewhere else, if you could cast it on him, he can carry that burden. This is the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. In other words, the writer of Hebrews was talking about the sure presence of God being an anchor for this. In other words, the thing that keeps our soul from going here and there. In the very next sentence, in verse 7, here's what he says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So, so first, we need to rejoice. What does that mean? Be aware of what God's up to in me, you, and them. The whole thing's going somewhere good. Two, be aware that God is close, not far, so that our gentleness is made known to all. Three, once you do all you can do, surrender it to God. Surrender the outcome. Surrender their response. So all you can do is control your response and your behavior. You have to surrender everything else to God. And this starts to help us not to be there, to deal with unresolved conflict, unresolved guilt, unresolved questions, and unrealized control. The the fourth thing I would say is only give helpful thoughts permission to land in your head. You can't help things popping into your head. Some image comes on TV and... Um, and it scares you, or what well, you can't help what somebody might say, thinking they're being helpful. And, and, but we can help what we give permission to land. Um, when you come into Brisbane Airport from the sky, you're put into something called a landing pattern. And in the way it works, basically, this is a caricature, is that there's a beacon far out from the airport, and the airliners start at a certain altitude, and they go around like this, and they come down in a circular pattern until they're free to land. And, and so uh, one helpful imagery that, that's helped me with this is, is that you can't help what thoughts are in the pattern, but you can help what thoughts we give permission to land to the point that they affect our emotions. And so Paul closes his encouragement to the Philippians with this in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think on this. In other words, it's one thing to go, but that's real and it's happening. Yeah, but that, is, it, is it true? That's only, one of the, that's only one of the criteria. Is it trustworthy? That's another criteria. Is it, what is, is it worthy of praise? Is it actually worth giving our energy to? Is, 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 it, um, is it excellent? Um, what, what would happen if we only allowed the true the just, the honorable, the pure, the lovely, the commendable, the excellent, and the praiseworthy. What would happen if we could discipline our brain to only let those things land? Now, good teaching is not meant to be agreed with, nor disagreed with. It's meant to be wrestled with for application. So let's ask a few questions about this. You can't beat anxiety by fighting it. You have to replace it because the more you fight it, the more you become aware of it, it gets bigger. So let's ask a few questions. Where do we need to increase our awareness of what God is up to? Maybe our awareness has been too much on certain circumstances going on in our world, and we need to stop, take a deep breath, back up, and ask ourselves, what is God up to? Where is he in all this? Where can I be aware of what God's up to in my family, my children, my health, my business? What's God up to? To, number, Number two, where do we live with a perceived absence of God right now? Is there any place that you would go, if, if I was honest, because there's no judgment here. If, if, if I was honest, I don't see God in this situation. 
Where are we living? And let's name it. Because once we can mention it, we can manage it and start telling ourselves the truth about it. N- n- number three, where do we need to breathe and realize God is at, in fact near? He's not far. He's not an existing thing. He's an insisting spirit holding the whole thing together. M- maybe our gentleness needs an uptick. Where, where do we need to do that? N- number, number four, what is the name of the concern that we need to leave at the throne of the one who's justice and righteousness? Just right now where you are. Why don't you take a second and name it? Call it by name. This situation, just call it by name. And let's surrender it to God. To truly surrender begins to set us free and allow us to rejoice, be aware of God, and, and, and let our gentleness be made known to all. Let's name it so that we know what not to give permission to land. N- number six, what thought do we need to deny permission to land? Is there a thought that we just need to go, you know what, I'm not going to let you land today. You're not going to get in there today. So, so, so my brothers and sisters of New Hope, may we live in a way that rejoices, aware of what God's up to in our world. Me, you, them. He's moving the whole thing where he wants. May we be aware that God is not far, but near. And may that manifest in gentleness to all people. Once we do all we can do, may we surrender every outcome to God and only give praiseworthy thoughts permission to land. May we make a discipline of being here, what God wants us to do right now instead of somewhere else. May we deal with those things. Now, if you're listening to this, I'd like to give you an opportunity. If you can feel something at work in your heart, the, the, the Bible has a lot of metaphors around this. One is a seed. And what the, the way the Bible teaches it as a metaphor is, is that it's like God plants little seeds in our heart and then waits for us to respond. He consents to the seed and he consents to wait for you to respond. And, and maybe you're listening to this and going, you know what? I need to take my next step. I'm on a journey and we all here at New Hope are on a journey. And, and, and our responsibility is to cultivate the ground and the environment for all of us to say our next yes. So whatever that next yes might be for you on your journey, I'm going to encourage you to take that journey now, to take that next step now. And someone from the New Hope team on your computer right now is going to be giving you a way that if you'd like to say your next yes, no matter how small it is, because no yes is too small when we're responding to what God's doing in our heart. So may we take our next step. If you'd like to do that, I would encourage you to do that right now. And for my brothers and sisters of New Hope, may we live on a more profound level than being somewhere else. Be people who rejoice, aware of God, gentle, surrendered folks who know that God is up to something awesome. Grace and peace, everybody.